Hallelujah. Turn and give somebody a high five and you can be seated. I did that mostly for my own benefit because it's morning. I can speak in the morning, but it's a little bit more challenging for me. I'm a night girl. I like, I like when it's a little later in the day. How many people like that? How many people get up really, really early and pray? Y'all inspire me. See, I look at it a little bit different. See, you know, it says, early will I seek thee. And, but the Jewish day starts at 6 o'clock in the evening. So, I'm just saying, okay. Wasn't last night great? I love how Dutch just laid out the journey for us, amen. It really helps us to have that prophetic perspective about what God is doing. Um, the first couple sessions, we talked a little bit about the, the, the move that God is bringing over this state to move us into that role as a watchman prophet state, a watchman prophet forerunner state that God has called us to be. So I thought I'd just spend a few minutes this morning um, just kind of moving us into a greater understanding about the watchman prophet and maybe what some of our, our, our responsibilities, some of our goals, some of our, uh, the things that we need to tune into in the Holy Spirit. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give you some points this morning so that my message will not be pointless. I will give you some points, okay? <laughs> I actually am, am a, a, a girl that likes outlines. I like the structure of that. Even though I'm a prophet, I'm a very left brain prophet. So um, when I first learned to prophesy, I would stand with Bishop Hammond. And while Bishop Hammond was prophesying, I would build an outline. I would see, because I'm a seer, and I would see and I would build an outline. Point A, one, two, three. Point B, one, two, three. I'm serious. That's exactly how I learned to prophesy. While he was prophesying, I would hear the Lord, and then I would just go, like, prophesy through my outline. And then the Lord was like, nope. <laughs> you know, just get to do that, and I learned to flow in that, that Nabi, Naba prophetic flow. So, um, uh, try, trying to get that stirred up, okay? So, we're going to talk a little bit about moving into this prophet, this prophet anointing. Number one, Okay. Watchman prophets watch over the times. Watchman prophets watch over the times. We've got to understand what time it is. We've got to understand the dimension of the Holy Spirit that God is moving us into. And we, we hear that because we iron sharpens iron. That's why we have conferences like this where different prophetic voices come in, where we share the different dy d dynamics of the Holy Spirit. And the very name of this conference really is an indicator of prophetic times. When it's called the Coastal Awakening. It's an indicator of the prophetic times that we're living in. Um, when we understand awakening, we always think about Isaiah chapter 60, verse 1 through 3, where it says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord is risen upon you. I want you to say, put your hand on your belly right here and just say, it's rising on me. For darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness will cover the people. But the Lord will rise on you, say on me. And his glory will be seen on you, say on me. Then the nations will come to your light. And kings to the brightness of 
your, say my, rising. I want to point out that the verse about darkness is only half a verse in that entire chapter. Look at God's perspective. <laughs> the rest of it's all about the glory. God's glory coming into the earth. God's glory, God's light lighting us up and shining. The first two words of that verse, arise, shine, when you look it up in Hebrew, literally has the connotation, wake up and be set on fire. What is the time that we're in? We're in a time that God is saying to his church, wake up and be set on fire. You cannot any longer just go through the motions of casual, comfortable Christianity. There is a move, obviously, in some of the churches that is pushing people back out of Holy Spirit-filled meetings into casual, comfortable Christianity. Let's make this as easy as possible. Let's make this as non-confrontative as possible. But the Spirit of the Lord is actually saying, I want my people uncomfortable. <laughs> Until he makes us uncomfortable. Right? Until he makes us uncomfortable. Then we're just like, God, what are you doing? I heard somebody say years ago, God came to comfort the afflicted and, and afflict the comfortable, okay? So God is, God is stirring us out of our comfortability zone. Doesn't matter how long you've walked in the prophetic, how long you've walked in the apostolic, there's always something new that God is leading us into. And we've got to have ears to hear so that we stay out there on the cutting edge, so that we stay right in the time of the Lord, right in the midst of the time of God. We've got to understand it's a time of awakening. Therefore, when you look at the past awakenings, the, the first great awakening, the second great awakening, we've got to understand that there was tremendous darkness in the earth preceding both of the first and second great awakening. In the first great awakening, the uh, Puritans had come to America and they had settled. And all of a sudden, because of the distance, the space of their settling, people became disconnected from one another. You started finding moral decline. The Puritans' daughters were getting pregnant outside of marriage. The Puritans, who I don't think even believed in sex, okay, their, their children were getting pregnant outside of marriage, okay. There was controversy. The Enlightenment um, the, from Europe had come over and was uh, causing people to relate to God more out of reason than out of relationship, and we were really in a moral, spiritual decline in this nation when all of a sudden the wind of the Spirit came and brought an awakening. In the Second Great Awakening, again, the nation was in turmoil. It was pre-Civil War. It was darkness. It was economic collapse. 5,000 businesses uh, went out of business just in a short period of time. And in the midst of that darkness, God broke through and started to shine. So when we see things shake in the earth, when we see things shake in our nation, when we th see things shaking in the nations of the earth, what we've got to understand is all of that is preparatory to the great awakening. And I believe that God's been speaking awakening for quite a while right now. How many know that you can only be pregnant for so long? And then you've got to give birth. I, on my first, my first daughter, I was 15 days late. And the week that I gave birth, I didn't give birth till Saturday, but I went to the hospital on Monday because I knew it was time. I went to the hospital on Tuesday because I knew it was time. I went to the hospital on Thursday because I knew it was time. 
On Friday, I swore I'd have the baby at home before I went back to the hospital again, before it wasn't time. But then Saturday, it was time. How many know we got to be tuned into the times of the Lord? We've got to know what the Lord is saying. We can't be afraid of the darkness. We can't be afraid of the shaking. Come on, watchmen prophets have to look past what's happening in the natural to see what's happening in the spirit. When you watch the news, you can't just watch the news for information. You've got to watch the news for intercession. Otherwise, it'll swallow you up. You know, um, every year my husband and I do a conference in, um, in Hawaii. I know somebody's got to go to the far-off mission fields and sacrifice for the sake of the kingdom. But every year, I actually grew up there. I, I lived in Hawaii till I was 11, and I grew up there. And uh, so we go back early every year. And I don't know what happens to my husband when we go to Hawaii. He thinks that we're like super hikers or something, okay? Look at me. I am not hiker girl, Okay. But he takes me on these hikes. We've hiked Diamond Head. We've co hiked Cocoa Head. Does anybody know what Cocoa Head is? You've got to be a Cocoa Head to, to hike Cocoa Head. It's straight up. I'm like, what are you thinking, okay? I don't hike any other time of the year, but we go to Hawaii and we hike. And so I told him a couple years ago, we're not going on any of these hard hikes, okay? Um, I can hike down really well. Honestly, I do pretty good hiking down. It's the going up that gets me, Okay. So, so we decided we were going to go on this little hike, and, and it was up the Manoa Valley, which is a valley between these two mountains. Uh, it's, the, it's fabulously beautiful. But we struck off probably about 4.30 in the afternoon because the sun wasn't going down um, until about 7.30 out on the beach. And so we, we struck off up the trail. And you had to be very careful because there were some parts on the trail that were very rocky and very um, steep cliffs, you know, and you had to just kind of navigate your way through, and you, you hike up to this little tiny waterfall, but it's just a very beautiful hike, and it's not so hard. So we went up, we got there, we, we saw the waterfall, we turned around, and we started heading back. And we learned something very quickly, is that it gets darker in the valley much sooner than it gets darker on the beach. And when you're in the valley... It feels like darkness descends on you very quickly. And so we started walking down this trail, and we started encountering very rapidly descending darkness. I want you to get a picture of where we are in the church, rapidly descending darkness, until finally it got so dark that I couldn't see my hand in front of my face. It was that dark, pitch black. Now, I want to remind you about the trail. And I want to remind you that I am not hiker girl, okay? There are deep ravines that we can fall into if we don't stay on the path. And so I told my husband, I guess we're going to have to sit here on the trail until the sun comes up tomorrow morning because we can't navigate this path because it's too dark. And I think a lot of the church has been stuck over this last season of time because darkness happened quicker than they were expecting it, and they got stagnated and stalemated on the path, and they made a decision, I can't move forward because I can't see how to navigate this path of darkness.
And so as I stood there, my husband said, babe, we're not sleeping on this path. And I said, but we can't see. What are we going to do? And he says, I don't know, but we can't stay here. And all of a sudden, it dawns on us. We have cell phones in our back pocket. Now, this was enough years ago, and we were far enough behind the curve at the point that we had old cell phones that did not automatically have flashlight as part of their tools. So we stood there on the trail, and we downloaded a flashlight app on each of our phones. Listen, if it gets dark and you can't navigate the path, sometimes you just got to stop and download light, download revelation that will light your path. Amen? And I think this is what we've got to understand. Sometimes the darkness closes in and we get stuck. And God is saying, I'm always ready to send a download of my revelation, a download of my light, because my light will be, my, my word will be a lamp unto your feet, and it will be a light unto your path. And so we downloaded these little flashlight apps, and they were pitiful. Back, back in the day, they were pitiful. And yet, it gave us enough light to start moving forward. Very slowly, but we began to move forward. And I learned lesson number two. A little tiny bit of light drives out a whole lot of darkness. Listen, you may think, I don't have some big, great revelation. I'm telling you, take the revelation of the word. Take the revelation that God does give you and allow that to light the pathway forward because it will be enough to drive out darkness. And so we started moving forward, and my husband was excited that we didn't have to spend the night on the trail. I was excited because I was going to be able to go back and get a shower. And something else happened. As we were walking along that path, out of the woods comes these two Hawaiian men with flashlights strapped to their heads, big old beams, and they're booking down the trail. I just wonder if they weren't Hawaiian angels or something, okay? Because they come up to us and they said, looks like you could use some help. They each reached into their backpack and pulled out these giant torches, these giant flashlights, and then they took off down the trail. They gave us their flashlights and took off down the trail. When we got to the end of the trail, they weren't there. See, I think that when we're starting to move forward, God will send angelic help. God will send help to begin to accelerate your path. Amen? God will send a greater light that will cause your pathway to be accelerated. So I want you to lift your hands up right now. Father, I thank you, God, that you are downloading what we need to move forward in this next season of time. God, you're calling us to be watchmen prophets. You're calling us to be watchmen for the state. And God, sometimes we feel like we get stuck. We feel like we reach an impasse. But Father, heaven is always ready to download what we need to enable us to advance both personally and corporately. Father, 
Father God, into your divine purpose for the earth, Father. And so we thank you, God, that there's a fresh mantle of revelation, God, that there's fresh avenues of revelation. God, if we're getting stuck in our hearing ability, God, give us a seeing ability. If we're getting stuck in hearing and seeing, let us dream dreams, let us have visions. God, if we're getting stuck in other areas, Father God, give us the sense of the Holy Spirit, or God, somehow communicate, break through the heavens to break into the earth, God, so that we will have everything that we need to advance in this next season of time. God, we will know the times, and we will know what to do because you've mantled us with revelation for this new day. In Jesus' name, everybody said, amen, amen. Hallelujah. We could talk about time a lot, all right? Number two, watchmen prophets see past the natural into the unseen realm. The first thing I want to say about this is that there is an unseen realm. It's very interesting. Several years ago, I, uh, I was taking time to just seek the Lord, and I heard God just say, I'm, I'm bringing my church into a quantum leap season. A quantum leap season. I, you know, I kind of had an idea of what that meant. But it, it means basically a, a sudden advance. That's a basic definition, a sudden advance. But after I shared what I felt like the Lord was saying, one of our elders came up to me and he said, you know what, I studied quantum physics in, uh, in college. And he said, I want to explain to you scientifically what a quantum leap is. Because in science, a quantum leap occurs when the electrons around the center of an atom begin to what scientists say, get excited. That's what they say. They get excited. They begin to spin. They begin to jump. They begin to charge up. And as they charge up, then suddenly, everybody say suddenly, suddenly they leap from one electron, from one atom to another atom, bam, like that, with nothing in between. When God says, I'm bringing you into a sudden, a, a, a quantum leap season, and God says that it's a suddenly season, what we need to understand is God's taking us from one level to another level, bam, with nothing in between. How many want a suddenly? Suddenlies mean change. We talked about change yesterday, remember? Suddenlies will shock you. But suddenlies are what God is doing in this season of time. And so I understood that God was getting ready to catapult the church forward into another realm, into another ability. So the next morning, I got up very early and I was getting ready to get on, a, well, I got on a plane. And when I get on a 6 a.m. flight, I am not chatty Kathy. Okay, I just want to sleep. I mean, I just, I am not a morning girl, okay? And that meant that I probably had to get up at 4 to get to the airport to get on the plane. And now I'm on this plane at 6 and I'm just praying, Jesus, please don't let this person talk to me, okay? <laughs> and... Um, <laughs> Cheryl is amening me all the way. I will say I do a lot of ministry on airplanes, okay? People will say, what do you do for a living? And I will tell them some variation of what I do for a living, and that will open a conversation. I would say, oh, I'm a pastor. They'll say, oh, a woman pastor. We'll have that whole conversation. Or if I say I'm a prophet, they'll get up and change seats. Just one time, I've never actually done this, but just one time I would like to say I'm an exorcist. <laughs> because I do cast out devils, I would just like to see what kind of reaction. I've never done it, but 
Maybe today on my way home. You know, we'll, we'll see. But on this particular morning, I did not want to talk to anybody. Oh, but my gosh, the man next to me was a talker. Talking, talking, talking. And then, you know, what do you do for a living? We had a small conversation. I gave him very monosyllable answers, to be honest. And then I said, out of politeness, I said, so, sir, what do you do for a living? And he says, well, I teach quantum physics at such and such university. Well, now he has my attention. And I said, explain to me exactly the bottom line. Because listen, when God said, I'm taking you into a quantum leap season, I, I Googled it. Y'all know because that's what prophets do, right? We Google things, right? <laughs> I Googled it, and you know what? I started reading about quantum physics, and it was, again, Charlie Brown's mother. Wah, 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 wah. I didn't understand anything, okay? So here's what this guy tells me. He says, okay, here's the basis of it. He says, quantum scientists understand that there are two realms of existence. He says there is the seen realm, the realm in which we live, and there is an unseen realm. I'm not talking scriptures, guys. I'm talking quantum physics. There is an unseen realm, and scientists say of the unseen realm, in that realm, anything is possible. It is called the realm of infinite possibilities. I'm like, could you wait and let me get my iPad out and take notes? Come on, God had just said, I'm taking my church into a quantum leap season, and now I'm sitting next to a guy that's saying, hey, there's an unseen realm. Do you know what, what I believe? I believe that what the scientists are actually seeing into is the kingdom of God. Because Jesus said the kingdom of God is here, amen? When Jesus actually demonstrated the kingdom of God because in the realm of unlimited uh, uh, possibilities, he pulled that unseen realm into the seen realm when he walked on water. How many understand it's impossible to walk on water? But he pulled the unseen realm into the seen realm. When he fed the 5,000 with just a few loaves of bread, he was showing a quantum dynamic in that. When Philip baptized the Ethiopian eunuch, and suddenly as the man came up out of the water, Philip was zipped away to a town that was 35 miles away. What happened? He went into the quantum realm, and he was someplace else. I think God's getting ready to blow our minds by... By taking us out of just what we see and helping us understand that we have access to this unseen, scientists say, quantum realm. But what we've got to understand is that it's the realm of the kingdom. See, when we prophesy, we don't prophesy out of this realm. We reach into another realm and we pull out what God is saying. When we start seeing times and seasons, in the quantum realm, there's no time. Okay, I, I, I can't teach you quantum physics because I still don't really totally understand it. But I can tell you that God knows the end from the beginning. And so we can prophetically reach in to the future because God shows us the future. It's the kingdom of God. When we do signs, wonders, and miracles, we're causing the kingdom of heaven, that quantum realm. It says, actually, in, there, there's quantum non-locality. You can do something here, and it affects things there. That's why Jesus could say, be healed, and I don't even have to come. Jairus' daughter is healed. God wants to take us past this, this seen realm into the unseen realm. 
Now understand this, that as watchmen prophets and as those that God is stirring in discernment, we've got to learn to understand that surrounding us is this unseen realm and that there's spiritual spirit beings in that unseen realm. Discerning of spirits is more than discerning demons. We need to discern demons, but it's also discerning angels. I, I can't encourage you enough to get a hold of Tim Sheets' book on angel armies so that you understand this unseen realm. See, Elisha saw into the unseen realm when they were surrounded by the enemy. He saw into that quantum realm when he said to his servant, don't worry, there's more that are with us than are with them. See, we've got to expand our mind past just what we see. Okay. And so we got to understand there, that there's an unseen realm of angels, of demons. There's an unseen realm that includes the realm of the Holy Spirit. And we've got to learn how to discern the move of the Spirit. We've got to learn how to discern the mood of the Spirit. You realize the Holy Spirit has moods. I did not just call him moody, okay, but he does have moods. There are times that we come in and it's all about celebration, there are times that we come in and we're on our face. Come on, there's moods of the Spirit. There's the breaker atmosphere that God wants to move us into. We've got to be sensitive about the mood of the Holy Spirit. But here's the thing, as watchmen and as, and as people that are sensitive to the Spirit of God, we've got to realize that the Spirit of God's going to show up and the presence of God's going to show up outside of our churches. When you can start discerning the Spirit of God in Walmart... Now, Tom and I were in, uh, in Russia. We were on, actually on a vacation, and uh, we went on a cruise, and it took us into St. Petersburg, Russia. And we went to this very ancient cathedral called St. Isaac's Cathedral. And it was a beautiful, massive, smaller than the Vatican, but pretty massive cathedral that was built in the days of the czars. And in the days of communism in the USSR, it basically had been turned into a museum to communism. Isn't that awful? And, and so it was, it was very pictorial, but it was devoid of any spiritual atmosphere. And so as we wa started walking around, we were commenting on how sterile the atmosphere felt. As watchmen prophets, we've got to be very sensitive to spiritual atmospheres. Amen. And so we felt the sterility of the atmosphere in this beautiful cathedral that had pictures of Christ and pictures of the apostles and pictures of angels and mosaics and, and all kinds of art, artwork, and yet it was quite devoid of the Spirit of God. And so we were making our way around and we were getting ready to leave when we walked past this doorway that led to an alcove, and as we walked past this doorway, it was, there was a wind of the Holy Spirit that came through that doorway and literally stopped us in our tracks. It was the wind of the Spirit of God. And Tom and I stopped, and we looked at each other, and I said, did you feel that? And he said, yes. Where is that coming from? So we made our way through the doorway, down a hallway, into this little alcove, where there were 20 Russian believers on their faces crying out to God. Wow. We've got to be sensitive to spiritual atmospheres. 
We've got to be sensitive to, the, to what the Holy Spirit is doing. And we've got to pray that God opens our eyes to, to the seen and the unseen realm of both the demonic and the angelic. We've got to know how to work with angel armies. We've got to recognize the presence of angels to a greater dimension in our lives. We can't be demon-focused, although I will tell you in my earliest days of discerning, that's kind of all that I saw. I'm just going to be honest. And I would have demons, when we were doing that battle over our land, I would have demons manifest physically in my room at night. I don't know if things were astral projecting in. There's all kinds of crazy stuff that went on. But I would have demons manifest in my bedroom at night. I would wake up. I would see demonic figures standing in my room. I wish that I could tell you that I said, I rebuke you in the name of Jesus. But instead I went, ah! And it scared them away. It must have been an anointed scream. And they fled, Okay. Um, I eventually learned how to take authority over them, but they scared the living daylights out of me. I'm just going to be honest. They were ugly, and they were in my room. So, uh, you know, God wants to remove this veil, and we may not always like what we see, but we've got to learn how to deal with what we see and not be freaked out by it, okay? So put your hands on your eyes. Father, I thank you, God, that as watchmen, prophets, God, that you are going to take us into a place, Father, where we can learn how to discern, Father, the unseen realm. Let us know how to co-labor with the angel armies. Let us learn how to identify demons and demonic structures. Let us, Father God, be so sensitized to the move of your spirit, Father, that we are able to, to, to grab a hold of that which you are moving and rearranging and repositioning and what you are doing in the unseen realm, Father. We thank you, God, that you're opening up our eyes, God, to understand that the kingdom of God is all around us. This unseen realm is all around us, God, and that you desire for your people, God, to, to have glimpses into it so that we can understand your plan and your purpose in the name of Jesus. Amen? Amen. Number three, watchmen prophets see in the spirit but must guard their soul. I find watchmen and people that have an active gift of discernment are some of the most vulnerable to shutting the gifts of the Holy Spirit down and walking away from the call. Why? Because they feel overwhelmed by what they see. They feel overwhelmed by what they hear without knowing what do I do with what I see. And one of the things that we have to recognize is that Hebrews chapter 4 says, that we've got to allow the Word of God to come in and divide between what is soul and what is spirit. Because I will tell you that your soul, which is your mind, your will, and your emotions, can at times cloud your spiritual discernment. In other words, it's like putting on a pair of glasses that are rose-colored. Have you ever heard the, the term wearing rose-colored glasses? What does it do? It tints your entire world, right? And if you've got an injury or if you've got a wounding in your soul that is not healthy, then you're viewing the world through rose-colored glasses and calling it discernment. And watchmen can fall into this trap. 
For example, we had a woman that was in our church. She was only in our church for about a month. She asked for a meeting with my husband and I, and she came in and she sat down, and we said, how are you enjoying your time at the church? And she said, well, I'm having a really hard time. And we said, okay, why? And she says, well, you guys are so controlling. Okay? And your worship leader's really controlling. And your life group leader, my life group leader, super controlling. The nursery workers, they're really controlling. What was her problem? She was not in control. And so she viewed the entire world through the prism of her own soul issue. So if I'm talking to a group of watchmen prophets... I'm going to say you've got to constantly go after the healing of your own soul. Otherwise, it will affect your ability to properly process what God is showing you in the spirit. It's a, a, a little analogy is like a, a, a little boy that decided to play a trick on his grandfather. As his grandfather was sleeping on the couch, he took a little tiny piece of Limburger cheese. You know what that is? It's that super stinky, stinky cheese. And he took a little piece and just stuck it right on his grandfather's mustache while he was sleeping. And when his grandfather woke up, he, he, he woke up from his nap and he went, wow, this room stinks. He walked around the house and he went, this whole house stinks. So he walked out on his front porch and he went, the whole world stinks. So you're, you're getting the moral of the story as if, if the whole world stinks, it's probably something under your own nose, okay? If you only keep picking up the same thing over and over and over again, maybe it's because there's a soul injury that you need to get healed of. Amen? So we've got to take care of our souls as watchmen. We've got to take care of our, any time that we go through wounding or injury, we've got to take care of that or it can actually defile our ability to discern. We've got to know and understand that God has called us to operate in transformation, but a process of transformation is love. And so as we begin to discern, sometimes what we have to guard against is becoming judgmental, critical, or negative. Listen, it doesn't take anything to prophesy about the darkness. All you got to do is just turn on the television. You don't have to prophesy about how dark it is. We all know how dark it is. Prophesy what God wants to say. Come on, get past the negative. Get past the judgmental. Get past the critical. Okay? So when I first started operating in discernment, I will be very honest. Bishop Hammond laid his hands on me. Uh, we had had some things happen at the ministry, and Kim Clement had come and given me a word about operating in discernment and being a watchman, that I would see the snake and, and see the wolf. And uh, so we had some things happen at the ministry that um, none of us really saw coming. Although when we sat as a leadership, I said to the leadership team, I never trusted that person. And Bishop said, well, why didn't you say something to me? And I said, well, I've been taught that if you can't say something nice, don't say anything at all, right? And he said, yeah, but you need to tell me and you need to tell Tom if you're picking up something that seems dangerous. And so I didn't want to be critical or judgmental. I didn't, I like people. So 
But Bishop Hammond, he said, let me just lay hands on you and activate this gift. So he laid hands on me, activated the gift, and I was like, okay, that's awesome. I've got an activation of this gift. Then I went to church the next day, and I would see people, oh, hi. And then all of a sudden, I would see all the stuff. I would go, oh, hello, and hug them. After I'd hug them, it'd be like, I mean, literally, like a veil went up. And while I'm preaching, I could hear their thoughts. And so I went back to Bishop Hammond. I said, you put your hands back on me, and you take this back. I don't want this. I do not like this operating in my life. And he said, no. He said, you're going to have to learn how to operate in this gift. But the biggest challenge is getting into a negative, critical frame of mind towards people that Jesus gave his life for. Now, I recognized that God had married me to probably one of the most mercy-motivated men that he had ever created. And guess what? Bishop Hammond is also one of the most mercy-motivated people that, I, that God's ever created. So my two in, people that were imparting into my life, the two people that were speaking into my life the most, were just, they just oozed mercy. I can remember going into a, a time when we were dealing with a difficult minister that was a prophet with a true call, but he was just dividing churches everywhere he went, and Bishop Hammond had to kind of bring him in and talk to him, and he had Tom and I in there with him, and uh, as he talked to him, he just kind of laid it out, and he was very kind, very merciful, kind of helping him to understand the error of his ways and everything, and we came out of that meeting, <laughs> and the man, bishop prayed for him, and the man cried and everything. And we came out of that meeting, and Bishop goes, yep, I, I laid down the law. Yeah, we gave it to him straight. We told him exactly like it is. And I was like, oh, please, I was there, okay? You guys were, like, so merciful, okay? You were so merciful. And, and, and <laughs> I can remember this one time we were in a meeting, and uh, it was somebody that was causing trouble in the church, and Tom and I, the guy was getting ready to leave the church, and so back in the early day, we, we just sat down with Bishop, and we did things together, and so, so Bishop, you know, says to the man, you know, I, I understand that you've had problems with the church, and that you've, you know, had some negative things to say. Oh, no, I've never, I would never say anything negative. Oh, but I understand that you've had the issues with this issue. No, 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 I don't know where you're getting that from. No, uh-uh. I am literally biting my lower lip to keep my mouth shut, Okay. Tom and Bishop, you know, they're just going on. And so we're getting ready to pray. And um, Bishop says, you know, well, we want to pray. We understand you're leaving, but we just want to bless you as you go. And the guy goes, okay, that's great. He says, and he says, you know, but Pastor Jane, um, you've been sitting there. You haven't said anything yet. And so I, I just want to know what you think. Well, I used to think that if somebody said, I want to know what you think, they wanted to know what I thought, right? That's what I thought. Okay? <laughs> That's what I thought, all right? And so I said, well, I think that you've been sitting here lying to every question that Bishop Hammond has asked you. Now, how many know there's a lot nicer ways that I could have called the man a liar? I said, I could have said, I don't think you've been completely honest, you know, uh, um, maybe we just have different, pre you know, I, there was nicer ways. And when I said, you're a liar, basically. I saw Bishop and my husband go. Oh. 
many know I was right? But I was wrong. Right? See, I know I'm in a room full of people that are like me. <laughs> Dutch sheets, I see you back there. <laughs> so see, Bishop Hammond would teach that, that God would marry you to somebody that's opposite from you. Or that would have a complementing set of gifts. And so he would jokingly say, you know, God takes a Clydesdale and marries them to a racehorse. You got the picture? Puts a yoke on and says, hey, you guys pull together. So guess what? One gets to slow down, one gets to speed up. Okay? God will put somebody in your life, even if you're not married to them, God will put somebody in your life that is that holy tension between the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. Because both are necessary to be watchmen, prophets. You've got to have both the spirit of wisdom and the spirit of revelation. You've got to understand the character of God is that the, there is the, the goodness and the severity of God. How many know that? I know that scripture comes from the Old Testament, but behold the goodness and the severity of God. How many know God has not changed? God is still goodness. God still has a severity aspect. There is still goodness and judgment. If we don't believe that God's a God of judgment, then we're, we're only seeing halfway. We've got to understand there's still the aspect of the fear of the Lord that's got to come into the church. How many of you came in because of the goodness of God? Because you just felt touched by God's love? Come on, how many of you got saved because you got touched by God's love? Okay, put your hands down. How many of you got saved because you did not want to go to hell and God scared the living daylights out of you? Seriously, look in this room. Raise your hand up. That's not, that's not a trick question. In this room, it's maybe... 70-30. Listen, if we're only preaching part of who God is, we're only going to get part of the harvest. we got to understand some people are going to come in because, compelled by God's love. Some are going to come in compelled because they don't want to go to hell. And the fear of the Lord hits them. We need to be ready for the fear of the Lord to come back to the church. But I'm convinced that when God teams you up with somebody either in marriage or ministry, that God puts one person in there that's the goodness of God. And the other person, well, they're the other side, okay? They're a little bit more the severity. I, I've already told you which one my husband is, so you know what that leaves me, okay? And so we had to learn to work together. And guess what? There were times that I needed to really, really learn about the love of God. And I can remember crying out to God going, God, I need to love mercy. You know, do justly, love mercy. I need to love mercy. I need to love mercy. And I would cry out to God for that. And one day the Lord spoke to me and he said, Jane, you love mercy when you're the one that needs mercy. Come on. But then there was the other side that my husband needed, what I had, that sometimes it's not just about love and mercy. Sometimes it's about laying down a law and raising a righteous standard. Amen? We need each other. We need each other. And we had to learn that we are stronger when both of us are able to operate in our gifts. When I quit trying to change him, he quit trying to change me. And we just allowed each other to operate in the gifts under the covering of Christ. And then we found that we were actually stronger in our leadership together. 
I'm, I'm very black and white. To me, it's either black or it's white. I say my husband sees everything in terms of gray. He likes to say the full spectrum, okay? So when we process information, I, pro I, I see a situation, I immediately know what I feel about it. I immediately make a decision. I immediately have a sense of what I, what I think about the thing, okay? My husband wants to ask questions. He wants to weigh. He wants to evaluate. How many know that we can really judge each other out of that different perspective, okay? Because he can judge me for just making snap decisions that may not always prove to be wise, but I can judge him for never making a decision because he never has enough information. Okay, I'm not disrespecting him. I'm just saying that's the different way that we process information. And if we spend all our time bumping heads over this rather than hearing each other and recognizing that the full counsel of God is probably somewhere in between, okay? And so, you know, you see it the way that we grocery shop. My husband's a good shopper, okay? When I grocery shop, say I'm going to buy ice cream. I go to the ice cream case. I open it up. I go, hmm, chocolate chip. Pull it off. Put it in my cart. I'm on my way. My husband comes to buy ice cream. He's got to look at all the different kinds of ice creams. He's got to decide which one's the best deal. Then he narrows it down to the brand. Then he narrows it down and usually brings home three. Because in his words, more is better, okay? And so you know what? Neither is good, neither is bad. They're just different. And we've got to recognize as, as prophetic people, we can't just categorize and say prophets are this way. Prophets are both ways. The father of the modern prophetic movement is one of the most mercy-motivated men that you will ever meet. We think prophets are like John the Baptist, you know, calling down fire and locust legs dripping out of the side of their mouth, you know. I mean, seriously, we've got to understand prophets come in all shapes and forms and all personalities. So just out of those two typologies of prophetic pictures of how we operate and how we relate, how many of you feel like you might be a little bit more like my husband? You're a little bit more mercy motivated. You're a little bit more, you kind of want to know the full picture. You want to know the full spectrum. Um, you kind of want to know the, 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 the fullness of the story before you make a decision. How many of you is, are in here? Okay. All right. All right, now. <laughs> okay, I'll tell you what I just saw. Okay, how many of you are more like me? Okay. More like me, okay? All right, so let me just tell you what it looks like from up here. I say, how many of you are more like my husband? This is what I see. I say, how many are more like, and before the word me is out of my mouth, okay, how many of you honestly did not raise your hand? 
you are more like my husband. I just didn't give you enough time. Seriously, okay? Being prophetic is not a personality style. Okay? And we've got to get liberated from that idea that it's one type of personality. Okay? And we've got to appreciate those that God has put around you that are different from you. That was part of God's plan. Quit fighting over it. Quit knocking heads over it. Both, of, uh, both sides need to move in a greater dimension of the love of God as well as the spirit of wisdom and revelation. Amen. Just lift your hands. Father, I thank you, God, Lord, that you're causing us to see others that are around us, that we properly discern the body, that we properly discern those that we're called to work with and walk with, Father God, and that we are stronger together in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, number four, and this is probably the last point we'll get to, is that we need to pay, atta pay attention to our dreams and our visions. Prophetic watchman, God's going to speak to you in a lot of different ways, but pay attention to your dreams and visions. And I want to, I want to just kind of, because we're talking about awakening, we started out talking about awakening. I want to tell you a dream that I had several years ago um, about awakening. We were actually, uh, had just landed in Australia, and were, uh, I'm very sensitive. The first night, wherever I sleep, the first night, whenever I go into a city or into a territory, I'm always very sensitive to what the Holy Spirit is saying in my dreams. Um, so on that particular night, I had, a, I had a dream, and I felt like it was really not just something for that nation, but something that God's speaking to the church today. In the dream, um, I, I encountered four angels. I don't actually often see angels in dreams, um, so it was definitely something that I would remember. But I saw these four angels. They were dressed in white, and their arms were linked together. You know, they were standing linked together as a united force. And they said to me, we are the four horsemen of awakening. We are the necessary force to bring a land into revival. So how many, how many know I was really paying attention to the stream? They presented themselves to me. So... I'll tell you what each, each one of the four angels were. Um, the first one that presented himself to me was an, an angel that stewarded over outpourings, the charismatic renewal, um, the, the times of outpourings that like Toronto and Brownsville. And this, this was an angel that, that stewarded outpourings. Outpouring was one of the dynamics that's necessary to bring nations into awakening and revival. And he said to me in the dream, he said, I'm getting ready to pour out the Spirit of God once again upon denominational churches like I did in the charismatic movement. And he said, I'm gonna, God's going to give people in denominational churches an opportunity to update or vacate Update or vacate. How many know some of these churches don't even bear this, any semblance to Christianity anymore? I mean, they're preaching many paths to God. They're not even talking about Christianity anymore. Okay? God said, I'm going to pour out my spirit. I'm going to give them an opportunity to update or vacate. The second angel 
was an angel that worked with the birthing and the establishment of the prophetic movement. How many understand the voice of God is necessary to bring a land into an awakening? The third angel was, uh, and, and I could spend a lot of time on each one of these, but the third angel had to do with the, the, the apostolic being birthed back into the church again. And then the last angel that I met, the fourth one in the, in the team, was an angel that said he's an angel that's been assigned to begin to stir up prophetic evangelism to bring in the harvest. We don't have awakening because we prophesy. We have awakening because the atmosphere shifts, and in the midst of the atmosphere shifting, we see a harvest come as well. We have a, a, a harvest of righteousness. We have a harvest of souls. We have all kinds of harvests, okay? Not just souls, but all kinds of harvests that begins to happen as a land begins to be transformed, okay? But prophetic evangelism is part of it. How many know that even as the send happened here in Central Florida, every single one of us need to be more stirred to share the gospel? Please don't ever say, I am a prophet. I am a watchman. I am an apostle. I'm not called to win souls. The spirit of slap will come on me. Man, I will just, you know, we're all called to win souls. And I believe God for opportunities to share the gospel. I'm maybe not out preaching on a street corner or preaching in a mall, but I look for opportunities, and guess what? God delivers opportunities into my hand. As a, again, sitting on an airplane, I, I lead so many people to the Lord sitting on airplanes. Because I believe God for opportunities. And, and here's the opportunities God gives me. I'm sitting next to a lady. She leans over and she goes, is that a Bible on your iPad? And I said, yeah. She says, are you a Christian? Yes, I am. <sighs> I would love to be a Christian, but I don't know how. Those are the opportunities I get. I get a man that gets bumped up to first class. This happened just last year. A man gets bumped up to first class. He goes, I have no idea why they just bumped me up to first class. I never fly. I'm not a frequent flyer. But they just came back and got me and told me that I'm being bumped up to first class. He sits down, settles into his seat, and he says, you know what? It must be because I'm supposed to meet you, and you have something important to tell me. we pray for opportunities, God will bring us opportunities. As watchmen prophets, we got we to gotta pay attention to those kinds of opportunities. I'll tell you one last one. We, we were on a, a, a cruise. You're going to always hear me talk about a cruise. We were on with a bunch of our CI ministers, and uh, it was the first night of a cruise. We uh, had just had dinner. We went into the entertainment. We got a, a little late, so we kind of just went in on the back row. And when we kind of slipped in on the back row, as soon as I sat down, the comedian was on the the plat that was on the, the stage performing. It was good, clean humor. It was a lot of fun. And as I sat down, I heard the Lord say, go ask him why he's running from the call of God. And I'm thinking, well, you know, I'm not going to, like, go up there and go, yes, thus saith the Lord, sir, why? No, I'm not going to do that. So I just began to pray for him. So I thought, well, I don't even know how that could possibly happen. So as we're leaving the theater that night, there is the comedian standing shaking hands. And as I shake his hand, um, I said, thank you so much for that great entertainment. It was clean. It was fun. Thank you so much. And I said, you know what? While you were performing, I began to pray for you. And he's kind of like, oh, okay. And I said, I just felt like, the, like God wanted me to ask you, why are you running from the call of God? 
And when I said that, his head snapped back like this. Like he'd been, like I'd smacked him. And his head snapped back, and he leaned forward, and he says, who are you? <laughs> and Tom and I were there. We said, well, we're, you know, we're, we're believers, and we just believe that God's speaking. And I felt like there's a real strong call of God on your life that you've been running from. And you know what? This man stops, and he starts to sweat. And he's like, oh, man. Oh, man. He's like, got my hand. He's shaking my hand. Oh, man. Oh, man. Wiping his hand. And he's like, and I, I said, well, um, we, could, we could pray for you. I mean, we can't do it right now because there's a, like a line of people. And I said, but if you'd like to call us, we could, we could meet you at some point and pray for you. And it goes, oh, man. So I just took a pen out of my purse and wrote our room number on his hand. And Tom was there, okay. <laughs> I'm not giving strange man my room number, okay. <laughs> Tom was there. <laughs> and I said, and, and we said, you know, just, just call us and we're happy to pray for you. So the next morning at 6 a.m., <laughs> I've already told you guys how I feel about morning, Okay. He calls, and he says, hey, man, I have been up all night ever since you said that thing to me. He said, could we maybe get together sometime? We told him that we were on there with a bunch of ministers. He, I, he said, do you think maybe we could get together tonight after the entertainment and maybe bring a bunch of your minister friends because I need a lot of help. <laughs> so we met up on the top deck, and that night that man got Saved, he got filled with the Holy Spirit, we cast demons out of him, we prophesied to him, and we laid hands on him for healing of his back. We kind of gave him the full meal deal. I mean, he was lit up. He was so excited. So the next morning at 6 a.m., he calls me again, and he goes, man, I'm so pumped. I'm so charged. Listen, I've got a lot of friends on this ship. If I bring them up there tonight, could you do whatever that was you did to me? Could you do that to them? And I want you to know, every single night on the cruise ship, we led the wait staff to the Lord. We led the spa girls to the Lord. We led the entertainers to the Lord. We led, we cast devils out. We, we, we released uh, prophetic words. Come on, we had revival on a cruise ship. From one little tiny prophetic word... That wasn't like even all that specific. It wasn't like you have an Uncle Franklin, okay? It wasn't like some specific word. It was just don't run from the call of God, and boom, revival happened. If we're going to see awakening, we've got to be willing to be ambassadors of awakening. We've got to be willing to watch and to pray, but then also to be the laborers that are sent to the harvest. So could you stand to your feet? That's as far as we can get today, but could we stand to our feet? and I'm just going to pray for you. Father, I just thank you. Just pray in the Holy Spirit with me. Father, I thank you, God, for the stirring of the Holy Ghost, God, for the stirring of anointing. Father, that as you've called Florida to be a watchman prophet state, God, you've got to raise us up to a new place, a new place of seeing, understanding your strategy, understanding your times. Lord, understanding, God, that we're not in an old season. God, we're in a brand new season. And whatever we've operated in in the past, God, has, has got to be torn, just like Elisha's mantle was torn before he could receive 
receive the double portion mantle, God. Lord, we thank you, Father, that you're pushing us in to this new season, Father, to see the greatest awakening, to see the greatest harvest of souls, and to see the greatest transformation of nations that this earth has ever seen. Lord, we believe it's here now in Jesus' name. And everybody said, amen and amen.